Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As teenagers, we always look for new and different things to do. Years pass us by and we build up stories we could tell to our children, perhaps even grandchildren. We learn through various events and gain knowledge through tragedy. When I was younger, I decided that when I'm nothing more but an old man, I'll tell all my stories and adventures to anyone who is willing to listen to them, in hopes that maybe they'll learn something earlier than I did. Or maybe to teach them that it's okay to be wild every now and then. Then again, there are those stories that stay in our heads. These stories are kept private, only belonging to those who have experienced them, and for the right reasons. What I'm about to tell you is something that I've kept to myself for more than 10 years. I was 17 at the time when this happened. 12 years later, here I am, 29 now. I graduated from college and got my own house about a year ago. This story was never meant for the ears of others. Instead of a warning, my story may serve as a catalyst for thrill seekers. So please, if this story ends up with anyone else other than the investigators, don't do anything stupid. By stupid I mean don't do what we did. Don't even tell others about it. What I'm about to write just isn't some story to tell. During the time this event happened, I lived in a place called Vallejo, near the border to another city called American Canyon. It wasn't the best city to live in, but I met all my best friends there and we always found things to do. The main attraction of our city was the Six Flags theme park, but you can only go to a theme park so many times until you've grown tired of it. Eventually, we explored various parts of our city and learned to love it. During our junior year in high school, while I was the only one able to drive, we decided to check out a place we've been hearing about. It was an old cement factory constructed around the late 1800s and early 1900s. It was quite active until it was shut down around 1950, and since then, it's been rotting and crumbling. It was called the Standard Portland Cement Company, but to everyone else it was simply called The Ruins. I volunteered to look for the location of the runes while my friends went on and asked their parents if they could stay out late that night. To no surprise, most of their parents would not let them out, except for two people, Josh and Robert. Though most of my friends couldn't go out, they insisted that we still go. They didn't want to hold us back. And so, a little bummed, but still excited... 
I drove to both of my friends' houses to pick them up and went off into the ruins. It was about 11 at night when we got to our destination. We decided to go a little later because of the fact that the ruins was on a private property and no one was allowed to go in. I parked at a corner of a street just a couple blocks away and told my friends some information I found out about the place. It had a pretty boring history, to be honest. There was nothing exciting about its past. It was just a plain company, not even a single rumor. We were sort of looking for a thrill, something to give us that daring feel. Other than trespassing, of course. After telling them what I had read about the place, we continued with our adventure. We had to climb a fence and a couple of hills before we were able to see the old decaying company. The fence was about a quarter of a mile away from the ruins, and it was nothing but a grassy field surrounding the area. As we got close, I heard the low whistling of wind and the subtle sound of tall grass rustling and brushing upon each other. During that time, I just couldn't shake off the feeling that the sounds I was hearing from the grass felt forced and unnatural. I eventually came to the conclusion that it just must have been wild animals. A few minutes later, we were about a hundred feet away from the ruins. A gravel path led us the rest of the way, and we pulled out our flashlights from our jackets and examined the front of it. The place looked nothing like it did long ago. I noticed that the number of buildings had been decreased, as well as the size of them. There were huge square-shaped stones laying everywhere. Tall, tan-colored grass surrounding every building we could see. Piles of stone were placed against the walls, along with a few rusted wheelbarrows. Roofs were missing for every structure except for five. Three silos, the rotunda, and another building near the rotunda. The building in front of us had a welcoming message spray-painted onto it. Welcome to the ruins. Right under it, on the ground, were a bunch of beer cans, remnants of marijuana joints, and used condoms. After about five minutes of exploring the front, we decided to go on. We walked to our left and examined the first building that we had encountered, the Rotunda. We pointed our flashlights to the walls of the building, searching for an entrance, and we were met with graffiti all around the structure and a closed garage-like door. We tried to open it, but the chain holding it down kept it locked. On the right side of the door, there was a hole. It wasn't big enough for an entrance, but it was big enough for our heads to fit through to take a look. And so, one by one, we peeked inside. When I poked mine in, I saw on the other end of the rotunda that there was a big mound of dirt that reached the top of the building and covered about a third of the ground. There were multiple holes both on the mound and the roof, holes a little bit smaller than the one on the door. It kind of looked like an unfinished beehive. We wanted to go inside the rotunda, but we would have had to have gotten onto the roof. Seeing that we had no way of getting up on the roof, 
We quickly discarded the idea and went on with our exploration. Next, we went into the next nearest building, which also had a roof, and was about 20 feet away from the rotunda. This building is when things got a little creepy. Inside, hanging from the ceiling, was a noose. Directly beneath it on the ground was a dark purple shade of residue and a knocked over stool. We were all silent for a few seconds, observing this unexpected scene. I walked up to it and took a closer look. I picked up a branch on the floor and moved the residue around. It was sticky and gave off a weird smell of something sweet, but rotten at the same time. As strange as it was, I couldn't find any other way of explaining how it smelled. I guess I should also say that even though it smelled horrible, something about it was alluring. I was getting dizzy and felt compelled to actually taste it. For a moment, it almost became a craving. Right as the thought of putting it in my mouth crossed my mind, Josh bumped my shoulder with his fist with a slight smile. To us, this creepiness was exactly what we were looking for. That daring feeling we wanted from that night was being filled. So the rope and residue was really no big deal. If anything, we wanted more of it at the time. As for my thoughts of consuming the substance, it was never mentioned plainly because it seemed unnecessary for them to know at the time. We examined the building a little bit more, but found nothing other than a large tube protruding upwards from the ground of the corner of the room. It was big enough for our bodies to fall through, so we were careful when we took a quick look. Josh pointed his flashlight down the tube while we observed the bottom of it. We saw several little critters run quickly from our vision. Then we just walked outside. To our right was the main building of the ruins. Well, if you can even call it that. You see, the only thing remaining of the building was its walls. The roof, the doors, the windows were all absent. It was more of an outline of the building. Nonetheless, it was still intriguing to see what remained inside. As we looked around, we saw a few structures that were still intact, but had no idea what some were used for. There were numerous blocks of stone lined up in the middle of each room, having a few feet of space in between each one. Some had metal bars poking out, which I'm guessing were used to support the roof. There were a couple of short tunnels with small canals of water on either side. It was pitch black inside the tunnels, but you were able to see the other end of it. As I passed by one of the tunnels, could have sworn that I heard some noises coming from it. It only lasted for a second, but it sounded like there was someone snickering in the darkness, and I was intrigued. I called out to Josh and Robert, and I told them I heard some weird sounds coming from the tunnel. Now being the thrill seekers that we were, and knowing that at least one of them would do it, I dared them to run through the dark tunnel. And without a word, Robert dashed right through. For a couple of seconds it took him to run through. We couldn't see him. 
After he emerged on the other side, Josh gave it a shot. Robert and I watched in anticipation as he entered the tunnel, and after a few seconds, Josh didn't come out. We called his name a few times, which were all followed with silence. Even though I was thinking that it was probably just a prank, I began feeling just a bit uneasy. My heart started to beat a little faster as I got closer and closer to the darkness to check in on him. Inches away, something suddenly grabbed my ankle, and I kicked it away. A burst of laughter came afterwards as I saw Josh crawl out with his hands outstretched towards me. We laughed about it for a while before proceeding. We walked around some more. On the ground I noticed multiple big square-shaped holes scattered throughout the edges of the building. I'm guessing that they were at least 20 feet deep. They were filled with brown, murky water, and each had a large tube poking out from one of the walls. It was probably the company's sewage system. Smell was foul. But I again smelled a hint of something sweet. Something like the residue from the previous building. And then, Robert actually almost fell inside one of the holes. While Josh was looking around on the other side of the building, Robert was standing near one of them. I was a couple of feet away from him, taking pictures with my phone, with my back towards him. I turned around, and he leaned forward, as if he wanted to fall in. Had I not quickly grabbed his arm and yelled at him, he would have definitely done so. Josh heard the commotion and ran to us. We asked him what happened, and he said that he had no clue. That he had just blanked out. After him was falling into the hole, Robert lost his motivation to explore. He just wanted to leave, but Josh and I wanted to look around a little bit more. After I checked the time and saw that it was almost one in the morning, we kind of figured that we should be going soon anyways. We agreed with one another that we would quickly explore the other side of the building, where the silos were, then head back to my car. The silos were a little farther away from the building than the rotunda, standing near the edge of the hill the company was built on. We didn't really know what to look for once we were there. We just kind of walked around it, like the mound inside the rotunda. The silos had holes in them. I wonder what these were used for, Josh asked. I'm not sure. Let me check it out, I replied. I popped my head inside one of the silos, and that was not a good idea. I was met with that same sweet, foul smell from the other building, but even stronger. The stench struck my sense of smell sharply. Here, let me use my flashlight while you look, said Josh. He stuck his arm inside and turned on his flashlight. The silo was filled with the residue. You gotta move your light around a bit. I want to see if there's anything else. What do you think this stuff is anyways? Yeah, sure, I don't know. Josh answered and moved his flashlight from left to right, slowly. Then from bottom to top. Everything seemed okay until I started to get dizzy again. I was mindlessly following the course of the light and I felt my consciousness slowly slipping away. But for some reason, I didn't care. 
At this time, I wondered if this is what Robert felt when he was looking down one of the holes. The light reached the very top of the silo, and for a split second, I saw something. Something looked at me. Something like a face. Now, I can't remember how it looked like exactly. The only things I could remember from that face were its hollowed eyes before I came to my senses and I pulled my head out. Holy crap. What? You alright? What'd you see? Josh asked. I think... I think I saw a face, but I can't really tell. Kind of getting dizzy from the smell, actually. Probably just something that was caused by it, I claimed, trying to convince myself. I'm sure that's what it was. Let's go, I've had my share of adventure for tonight. Yeah, sure, let's go. A few seconds of silence with no answer. Robert? Josh and I looked around and saw that he wasn't there. We stood around for a while, wondering where he could have gone. We looked toward the main building and saw him walking quickly behind a wall. Come on, Robert. We just saw you, Josh yelled. We ran to the main building to meet up with him, but once there, he was nowhere to be found. Is he spooked? I asked. Stop messing around, man. Let's go. And at that moment, we heard the splashing sound of water. Quickly, we ran toward the room that the sound came from fearing for the worst. It was the same room that Robert had his little incident. We looked inside the only hole in that room and saw that the water was rippling. We called out his name, hoping that he would emerge from the stench-filled water, but to no avail. Then we heard a muffled call for help from a familiar voice inside the tube. Josh and I each gave each other a look. We had no idea how in the world he ended up in there. Robert? I called. What in the hell are you doing in there? I... I don't know. I don't know how I got in here. Guys? Please help me. Robert pleaded. I could hear the fear in his voice. Josh and I had no clue what to do. Even if only one of us jumped down to help him... The other would not be able to help them back up. Seeing that we had no other options, I decided that we need to call the cops for help, even if we would get in trouble. Hey, Robert, can you crawl to the edge of that tube? I'll call the cops for help, I asked. Do you have to? You guys can't do anything? Well, what do you want us to do, man? We just can't do anything else right now. Just try to get to the edge, all right? Alright, I'll try. There's barely any room in here, he replied. As I pulled my phone out to call the police, Robert's hands were already visible. I saw them grab the edges of the tube, getting ready for the last pull before his head would be visible. But they stayed there for a couple of seconds, and the next thing I heard terrified me. Guys, something grabbed my leg. And a half a second later, he was pulled back in, his screaming quickly fading into nothingness. Josh and I ran everywhere, hearing faint cries of help from all the tubes all around the ruins. 
The stench from the residue was all over the place now. After about a minute, we couldn't hear him anymore. We heard nothing but our own heavy breathing. Then it came to me that there was one more tube we hadn't checked. We ran to the building where the noose was hanging from the ceiling. As we entered, we stopped dead in our tracks and didn't even bother checking the tube. The stench of the smell was incredibly stronger here now compared to before, but that's not what had stopped us. We looked up and stared at him with disbelief. Hanging by the neck on the rope was Robert, a dangling, lifeless body, an emotionless face with eyes wide open and popped out. He had tears and scratches all over his body, the result of him being dragged. Confusion struck the both of us. Not more than two minutes ago, Robert was alive and breathing. I didn't want to believe that he was dead. I didn't want to believe this night had even happened. I wanted to believe that he set all this up for a sick joke. But this was real. Josh went to the tube and started to throw up. Who would do this? I asked myself lowly. I don't know. We have to get out of here and then call the police. Let's go. Yelled Josh. But I was too busy staring in shock at my friend's lifeless corpse. Then I asked myself another question. Why did it seem like his body was getting skinnier and paler by the second? Hey... We have to go. We have to get out of here. The maniac who did this could be any... Josh was then interrupted by a disturbing sight. Robert's head moved and looked directly at us. His mouth opened slightly and it spoke. Why didn't you save me, guys? He asked, but his lips didn't move. Oh, that's right. He continued to say and then gave us a smile. You couldn't even if you tried. This time, his voice was anything but his. It sounded as if it belonged to a young boy, backed by some otherworldly deep tone. Something evil. Don't move. Both of you are next. Robert opened his mouth even more, and some sort of dark goo started to pour out of it. It was then accompanied by multiple brown, hairy, disgusting tentacles. As this was happening, his body continued to shrivel even faster, with his head completely unaffected and still staring at us. I'm not sure whether Josh and I were too scared to make a move, or if the stench was alluring us to stay, or if it was Robert's command. Helpless, we watched in horror. My heart felt hot, my stomach felt sick, and my legs felt numb. I've no doubt that Josh was feeling the same. We watched Robert's body until it was nothing more but fragile bones and dried skin, which then led to his head completely snapping off from his body. Robert's body and severed head fell to the ground with a thump, landing right on top of the residue from before. The body landed on its stomach, and attached to the back of the body were three hairy figures. They started to shake almost simultaneously. They shook violently 
then lifted up from the body, revealing the same tentacles that came from Robert's mouth. They were heads. They were all heads moving without a body. Severed heads with hairy brown tentacles. I figured that these things were draining my friend's body of nutrients, and then Robert's head started to move again, being pushed up by the tentacles along with the others. Snapping out of my frightened state, I grabbed Josh's arm and yelled at him to run before things got worse, though it didn't take very long for that to happen. We ran out of the building from where we entered. Those things followed not too soon after. Behind us, we could hear the quick scurrying sound of our pursuers. Go, go, go. No damn way these things were going to get to us, I thought to myself. Until we passed by the rotunda, I didn't think about looking back. But something bothered me when we did. The scurrying sound seemed to have multiplied. And when I looked behind us, I saw something that made my heart race even faster. From the rotunda, jumping from the holes on the roof and door, were countless other heads joining the chase. Like ants emerging from an ant nest, the heads angled about 45 degrees looking toward the ground were mostly decayed, with the freshest one being of my friends. Their tentacles, or legs even, held them a few inches off the ground and left a trail of dark residue leaving behind that now too familiar smell. I turned my head back around and paid attention to where I was going, focusing on getting out of this godforsaken place. Josh was just a few feet ahead of me, constantly cursing under his breath, and I could hear them getting closer. Come back, pleaded another unfamiliar voice with a mocking tone, but I knew it was Robert, his voice changing again. This is it, I thought. They're going to get us. We'll catch us soon. They're faster than us. They got closer and closer and closer, and I was able to feel the ground rumbling from the sheer number of those things chasing us. And just when I thought we would be done for, the noises stopped. We ran for another minute or two before I realized it. Josh, wait. We both stopped and turned around and we were faced with an unnerving sight. Behind us were hundreds of heads scattered all around. Most were on the ground while some clanged onto the walls of the abandoned buildings and small shrubs. They all stared at us, giving us a terrifying look of hunger, but refused to go on any further. It's like they had a border they couldn't cross for whatever reason. We surely didn't care what reason they had for stopping either. Before running back to my car, I looked at Robert's head one last time. He was at the front, being the one who led the chase. Though he had those damn legs sticking out of his mouth, he gave me the most frightening smile I'd ever seen. When we got back to my car, I drove a few blocks away before calling the police, and within minutes... Those flashing red and blue lights pulled up behind us. They asked us what happened, and we told them. They inspected the ruins despite our warnings, and they didn't find anything. Everything was gone, 
even the smell that flooded the place. So of course they didn't believe us. They thought we were just a couple of teenagers high off of shrooms. They let us off with a warning and then sent us home. As for Robert, I found out from his dad that he snuck out that night to spend some time with us. And when word of him spread that he was gone, he was simply viewed as a teen that ran away from home. But Josh and I knew what had really happened. It was hard for us not to say anything to our friends and, and even harder for us to watch Robert's family endlessly searching. From then on, we tried our best to go back to our normal lives, pretending nothing ever happened on that unforgettable trip. But I had nightmares almost every night after that, and it's the same with Josh. We both had the same nightmares and privately talked about them. We would relive that fateful day, but were powerless to change anything about it. After a few months, it stopped, and we weren't bothered in our dreams ever again. We were able to live normally. We finished college and got jobs. He became a computer engineer. I became a teacher and started writing my own book. Everything seemed to be falling into place. And after a while, that night was never brought up again. Other than our first encounter with the police, we kept this experience to ourselves and never told another person. I was never planning on telling the story, but decided to do so because of recent events. Yesterday, I found out that Josh's body was found in his apartment, decapitated, the head missing, and his body was shriveled up. And given the condition of his body, it was said that he had been dead for months, which wasn't possible. I had just talked to him last week. Fearing for myself, I wanted to call the police. Before even given the chance to, though, the FBI called my cell phone yesterday, asking me if it would be possible for them to speak to me. Questions about our past experience in person. I agreed and planned to meet them here at my home tomorrow. So why am I telling my story on paper then? I have a feeling that I won't make it until tomorrow. Actually, I know I won't make it until tomorrow. This is most likely the last thing that I will ever write. It's raining outside. It's raining hard. I could hear the peaceful sound of raindrops hitting the roof of my home and the loud cracks of thunder strike the night sky. I take my glasses off for a brief moment to rub my eyes and put them back on. I get up from my desk and head to my living room window to open my blinds. And I look outside and I see a couple of familiar faces with hunger-filled eyes staring back at me. They've been here for a few hours now, mere inches away from my window, being held up by those damn spidery legs. I don't know what's stopping them. The fear I feel now is immeasurable, and this is a situation I can do nothing about, so I choose to face it. Lightning strikes again, giving me a chance to have a glance of what lays ahead of me. Momentarily, the light revealed the other hundreds of pairs of eyes hungrily looking into mine. 
all accompanied with the most frightening smiles I had ever seen. <laughs>